a lot of you know Paul and Fran. They moved to Athens, uh, what, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, and so he doesn't really need an introduction. But for some of y'all that don't know Paul, I, I just thought I would again. Uh, Paul and I have known each other almost 30 years. Uh, he uh, was the RUF campus minister at Auburn. I think what's really cool about Paul is he actually went to Yale and played first base. Uh, I thought that was cool, but anyhow. Uh, so, uh, so when he went to Yale, you have to listen to him. Um, but uh, so, so Paul was at Auburn. I uh, had one of the largest ministries, I think, in the country. Um, and uh, I was at Mississippi State when he was at Auburn, and then I went to Vanderbilt and then came here to start the church. Uh, Paul later uh, planted a church in Austin, Texas, uh, Redeemer. Uh, and then he went to Knoxville. You called that one Redeemer too, right? So he's a, we like Redeemer. It's a good name. By the way, it means you're purchased. That's why I, I, that's why I chose that name. But anyhow. Um, so, uh, so Paul is uh, now the head of Mission North America. We have three major agencies. Uh, Mission North America oversees all the missions in America, Canada, Mission of the World, all the missions around the world. And PCA probably has more missionaries per capita than any denomination uh, this out there. And then the last one is Reform University Fellowship, which we're on about 150 campuses or so. And uh, so Paul's a great friend. He loves the Lord. He's one of seven pastors I get together with once a year, and we can talk to each other about stuff we can't even say to our elders. And uh, so Paul knows a lot about me, so, but I know a lot about you. <laughs> so I love you, brother. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, Hal said, Paul, I want you to preach about anything you want. So uh, when we're focused really a lot on beginnings, uh, I thought it would be good to think about where those beginnings could go, to think in turn about endings, and ending well with God, staying with God, enduring with God. And I wanted to go to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the end of Daniel's journey. Daniel is just full of wonderful stories about he and his friends trusting God and and, uh, enduring and God sparing their lives through multiple settings, uh, through a fiery furnace and and all kinds of radical situations. But here is the most challenging one of all, Daniel in the lion's den. And here even, he endures with God. Would you stand with me as we read this story? Daniel chapter 6, hear God's word to you. Now it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom." Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed 
that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed." Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then then the king Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have no end. 
He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Jesus, your word says to us, that he who endures to the end with you will be saved. Jesus, help us. We want to endure with you. We who have begun with you want to stay with you. We want to be sticky with you, Jesus. We want to stand firm to the end with you, but we need your help. We, We need grace, Jesus, upon grace. So help us. Help us from this story to to learn how we can endure with you. You gave grace to Daniel to endure with you and even to flourish with you in the middle of many trials. Give us that grace all the way through our journeys. Give us grace to trust you, Jesus, when others are out to crush us, when lions roar, when we are hurled to the bottom of pits in the hope that you are there with us all the way and you will raise us up. We pray this all in your name, dear Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Happy New Year. How's it going so far? How are those resolutions coming? Are you, how's the new spin class? How's the diet? Have you had enough kale already in one week, right? How, how are the budgets going? How's the quitting smoking, the slowing down on the drinking? How's it all, the spending less, the shopping less, the, the, nest, the less Netflix binging? How's it all going? Mine are going terrible. I had one resolution for this new year. It was really pretty simple. It was, I wanted to make 2018 a year not about me. My family is always sort of pressing on me in kind but firm ways. Dad, Paul, Fran telling me, you're always making everything about you. You're a little narcissistic. Let's, let's make 2018 the year that we die to our narcissism. A bit. Well, let me tell you how the first week went. On January 1st, my dear mother of 85 needed to go to the emergency room. I was two hours away from Lawrenceville, where she is in Greenville at that time with my daughter and uh, uh, her family. And uh, so on New Year's Day, instead of playing games and watching football, we drove two hours to Lawrenceville and spent seven hours in the emergency room. let me tell you, I grumbled a good bit about that. <laughs> Wasn't too worried about my mom. I was worried about what did that mean for me? Only to be taught by January 2nd and 3rd when I got, perhaps from the emergency room the night before, uh, a horrible stomach virus. And so what did I do? In between trips to the bathroom, I cried out to Fran, help me, serve me, help me, sweetheart. It was all about me. On the evening of the 3rd, I was starting to feel a little bit better. My son, who goes to UGA, came over. He didn't want to be near me. He made me take my little plate of crackers and soup up to my bedroom. Dad, I don't want to sit next to you. Can you blame him, right? But why are you doing this to me? Let me be here with you. The next day... Uh, I, was, uh, I was feeling a bit better, but I'd slept so much, so I stayed up real late, and it was one in the morning. I was watching something, and a friend said, Paul, could we please turn the TV off? I want to go to sleep. But honey, I've been up all day. I want to watch TV now. So I'm kicking it, right? I'm doing real good on the narcissism thing. You know, it's funny with resolutions. 
We really aren't very good at them, are we? They die quickly. Uh, I heard Dan Rather a year ago on his satellite radio program say, you know, I never do resolutions because um, if I do a New Year's resolution, if they're any good, after about eight hours, they're too hard and I quit and I'm depressed. Um, They're hard. Uh, A study showed in Forbes magazine, 40% of us make resolutions. Only 8% of us have any follow through on them at all. It's, It's hard, right? That's okay at one level. It's okay because we're constantly changing things out. Part of being human is reforming, changing, growing. Part of being a Christian especially, right, is that old things are passing and new things are coming. God is reforming us and reshaping us and renewing us. And so we have ideas constantly all the time that we're casting off and starting over again. And that's great. But in another way, it's problematic, right? We're way better at starting things than finishing them. How many more books have I started than have I finished? How many house cleaning projects have I begun and left behind after one drawer or half a closet? How many times have I started to clean out the garage and made it through one corner? How many diet plans and budgeting spreadsheets and, and are littered on the roadways of my life because I'm not good at finishing things? Sound familiar? That's really problematic, right, when it comes to finishing with Jesus. What does Jesus say in the Gospels? He who finishes with me, he who stands firm with me till the end will be saved. What's he talk about in the parables? That it's the soil that really grows up the seed, that, that has a depth to it, that can stand the sunshine, that can deal with the weeds in the rocks that really grows something over the long term. That's the soil that makes it. It's not the son who says he wants to go work in the field and then doesn't, but the son who actually goes and works and stays there that really enters into the life of the kingdom. Finishing with Jesus is really important. Enduring with him. How do we do that? How can we have an enduring faith, not just for 2018, but all the way through our journey. That's where Daniel comes in. I, I think this is where Daniel can help us and reveal to us what are the dynamics of an enduring faith with God? What does enduring faith with God look like? What's it mean to be sticky with Jesus for the long haul? First, think about Daniel, that enduring faith from his story, from his narrative, shows us that you can expect challenges all along the way. Enduring faith is not surprised by challenges that come all along the way. You know, when I was growing up and I heard this story, loved this story all the time in Sunday school, I grew up in the church and I'm 55, so I grew up in the era of the felt boards, you know, the little characters you'd put up on the board. And when Daniel and the lion's den was always up on the board, I loved it. But the thing was, you know, Daniel looked like he was about 17 in the lion's den. Peter Paul Rubens is the most famous uh, artist. He's a Flemish master, you know, from the 1600s. And he paints the most famous picture of Daniel in the lion's den. His portrait, you can look that up sometime. Um, His portrait has Daniel ripped and buffed, looking like he's about 25. You know how old Daniel is here? 85. 
If he's 17 when he leaves in exile to Babylon, and now he's gone from Babylon over to Susa with the Medes and the Persians, 67 years of captivity have passed for Daniel. He's 85 here. Why would none of the artwork depict him that way? I think because we can't stand the idea that the largest and the biggest and the toughest challenges of our lives may come at the middle or even at the end of our journey. We want that karma thing with God, right? If we've walked with you, if we've endured with you, if we've followed you, then make our lives easy. Make the middle and the end sort of a coasting. We can't stand that idea. And I remember when I was 25 and my parents were my age, 55, Fran and I had been married a couple years, we were in seminary, and I remember looking at their lives thinking, man, I'd love to be that age sometime. They had their friends in place. They had their jobs, their places in the community. Uh, you know, it seemed like everything was just kind of a coasting, the wind that was at their back. What I didn't understand, right, was is that my grandmother had just come, my mom's mom, to live in the area, and they were the primary caregivers for her, and they would be caring for her in her decline and in her death. I didn't understand my dad was completely reinventing his law practice from the crash of the 70s and the 80s in real estate in Florida. I didn't understand that my parents were constantly facing relational battles inside their church, vision battles for the sake of the gospel in their church. I didn't understand that their health was beginning to turn in bad directions that would lead my mom to three breast cancers and my dad starting to slide toward Alzheimer's. I didn't know that the hardest was yet to come. When, when people like Tolkien, you know, write in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, when their characters like Bilbo and Frodo, about having them having their most difficult and most challenging episodes in the middle and the end of their lives, they're not making fantasy up, they're aping reality. This is the way that it is. Now, Why? Why would God do it that way with us? Why, why would God have it that way? There are at least a couple of reasons, right? First, because the only way faith gets strengthened, right, is to be tested. It's true with your bodies. It's true with our souls. Faith gets tested as greater and greater challenges are put in front of us. Daniel has had challenge after challenge, first going into exile and then staying pure with, with not spoiling his life, with with foods the king was putting in front of him, but eating according to God's plan. He, he not, you know, not sort of in a fit-for-life way, but in a religiously dietary way of the Old Testament Jews. And then he's got to sort of endure this trial that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to destroy everybody who's a wise person in my kingdom if one of you can't tell me not just what my dream means, but what my dream says. And Daniel and his friends pray, and God delivers them. And then there's the fiery furnace ordeal they all go through. And then there's the, there's the Daniel left in obscurity, right? And there's the handwriting on the wall, and he's called out of obscurity two generations after Nebuchadnezzar to tell what the handwriting of the wall means, which means it's going to be the end of the Babylonian Empire, and he has to speak this out. And now he's hauled away further across the desert, further away from home, and he's an old man, and he faces the lion's Dan, this is the way God works. He does it not just with Daniel. He does it 
with Noah, with his trials near the end of his life. He does it with Abraham. He does it with Moses. He does it with David. He does it with Jesus, right? His greatest trials come at the end of a long journey of growing up in poverty and then being misunderstood in his ministry and finally betrayed, mocked, beaten, and unto a death. God is growing our faith. And faith grows under pressure. Faith is like citrus. It needs the heat of spiritual challenge to grow. Tim Keller says, faith is like a thermostat. It's only when the cold winds blow that the heat kicks in against that of faith. God's growing your faith, and it's going to cause increased trial for that to happen. It, it, it happens too, right, because we're getting prepared, not just to have a faith grow in a vacuum, but so that we can serve God in greater capacities in the days ahead. So that we can be ready when those moments come. But maybe most of all it happens, right? Because this is just the way God does things. This is the shape of his kingdom. How is his, shape, his kingdom shaped? Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. What's the writer of Daniel doing here under God's spirit's inspiration? Giving you this little picture, right, of all of the Jesus story arc. God's hero is betrayed. The authorities sentence him. He is put down into a pit. A stone over that pit of death is rolled over it. A seal is put over the stone. But then the stone is rolled away. And the figure emerges alive, conquering death. It's the Jesus way. And it's the way of all his followers. The only way to know Jesus and to follow him is him bringing you continually into places of death. He especially meets you there. He blesses you there. He loves you there. And then he raises you up again. My dad, when he had Alzheimer's, he lived with us. He and mom did their last several years uh, up in Tennessee. And... Uh, and he used to cry out at night. He had the sundowners thing, and uh, it was bad. And he would cry out at night. He didn't know who my mom was. He didn't know who I was, his only child, his son. He didn't know who my family was, his, his daughter-in-law, his grandchildren. He, he really didn't know anything, but he would just scream out. Um, the, the only thing, oddly, that would give him comfort was keeping his shoes on when he went to bed. I couldn't get him to take his shoes off. And he would just scream out at me, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Because he just didn't know he'd lost his capacity to even get a grip on where he was and where the journey was. If we forget that there are going to be consistent, continual challenges and trials all the way through, we're going to struggle. We're going to be as those with spiritual Alzheimer's. Because this is the way of enduring with God. Him meeting you in trial after trial after trial. But meeting the, you there, as Hal said, to bless you, to encourage you, 
to love you, to bring you through. Enduring faith expects that there are going to be trials all along the way. Secondly, enduring faith engages God's means of grace. Enduring faith engages God's means of grace. What are the means of grace? They're they're terms the Christian church has come up with across the ages to say, these are the places where you can expect God to meet you. These are the places where God pours out his love and his favor and his kindness to you. These are the places where God gives himself to you. And the church has historically described the means of grace as the preaching and the reading of the word of God the sacraments, and the prayers of God's people. This is where the tracks of the train of the Holy Spirit runs on into the stations of your life to bless you, to encourage you, to sustain you. Now Daniel is passionate about the means of grace. Specifically, he's passionate about Prayer, right? Ironically, it's his habit of prayer that is going to be the trap for him that those who hate him want to catch him in. We know Daniel is so committed to prayer that no matter what happens, he's going to keep praying, right? That's what his enemies are about. But Daniel doesn't see it that way. Daniel sees, prayer is my blessing. Did you hear the words in the text? They're beautiful. After the king's edict has been signed that nobody can pray to any other god beside the king, after Daniel understands that that has happened and hears about it, the text says, after Daniel learned this had happened, he got down on his knees with the windows open. He prayed toward Jerusalem three times a day as was his habit previously. Daniel is addicted to prayer. He's such an addict, he can't not give it up. If we read this story and we focus on how dutiful Daniel is, how committed Daniel is, well, that's fine and good, but I think you especially need to hear it as Daniel needs this grace, and he knows he has to have it, and so he can't can't give up this habit of praying even for 30 days. It's just temporary, right? I could have made an immediate argument, oh, well, it's just 30 days, I'll just... I just won't pray for 30 days. And then I can pray again. Or I'll pray in such secret in the middle of the night with the windows closed in such a way that it'll be over in 30 days. Daniel has to have it. He has to have his habit of prayer. Why? Because he knows how do we endure with God? We endure with God because God promises to preserve us. He who has begun a good work in us will complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. He who has called us in love and given himself to us in love will in love preserve us and keep us. But how will that happen? Through keeping us in his means of grace. Specifically here, prayer. What happens in prayer? God speaks to us in Scripture. We speak back to God in prayer. We pour out our hearts and longings to God in prayer. And he listens, and he moves, and he loves, and he comforts. And he works out his plan in the world in response 
to our prayers. It's amazing that God blesses us this way. And Daniel says, I cannot give this up. Even for a moment, I have to have this prayer in my life. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? But challenging. Now, you may think, well, I can never be like that. I I could never pray that way. I can never be that committed. Paul, I give up my patterns of prayer over and over and over again. I'm weak. I'm frail. I understand that. I'm right there with you. Listen to what a friend wrote on her Facebook page yesterday. I loved this. She's a mom. She's about 40. She has middle school age kids. She's a good friend of my oldest daughter. Here's what she wrote. I feel like I go through so many phases in my life. I'm not a super consistent person or a type A personality. Probably more of a type Z if it exists. Recently, I've had my anxious phase This comes following a year of a depressed phase. I try really hard to control these phases and fight them with fists up. But God is teaching me to feel them and take them as they come. Through a lot of counseling and medicine, that is. I'm just a person of a lot of emotion. And I think suppressing it has led me to some of these places. Today, I am thankful for this phase Not because I'm super spiritual. If you know me, you know I'm not. But I do truly love Jesus and have hope that he is redeeming me. I'm thankful for the anxiety that leads me to early mornings where I have an hour all to myself to read and plan my day. Thankful for the desire to pray and ask God to help me with my addictive personality and make me thankful for my family who cheers me on and loves me no matter what. Here's to 2018. I'm petrified and excited to see what it will bring. I love that. It's so real and it's so beautiful and it communicates that prayer is not for heroes. Prayer in the means of grace, God's word, worship coming to this table, they're for broken, hurting people like me like you, like Daniel even. Have you ever wondered, if we got into the Daniel story thing, if you go back to Daniel 3 and you read the story about Daniel and his friends going to the fiery furnace, the the thing is, Daniel's not there at all. It's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're They're the ones that don't bow to the idol. Why isn't Daniel there? Is he on a big trip? Is, uh, was he sick during that period? Why isn't he there? I think the most logical explanation is perhaps Daniel did bow to the idol. Perhaps he did fail. We know that David failed. We know that Moses failed. We know that every human being who has ever lived has failed radically and continually except Jesus. This prayer is for broken people like my friend, like me, like you, like Daniel. Now, you may say, I I reached this sort of place a little while ago, and I was like, God, okay, means of grace, coming to church, reading my Bible, praying regularly, patterns of prayer. I'm kind of sick of it, God. I really kind of am. 
Like, I want it to be different. I want something else. I'm kind of sick of it. I want you to do something more explosive, more dramatic, more big, more ecstatic. And, And I've kind of come back to this reality that for Daniel, right, he had visions. He saw visions all the time. But what he clung to was this regular, simple pattern of prayer. And God wants you to, too. It's not the sexiest thing in the world, but it is beautiful. It is where real intimacy and real love are shared. Um, one of the things I do in my marriage a lot is I'll say to Fran, Honey, I want more passion. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be married to me? Huh? No, I don't think you, don't think you would. Uh, honey, I want more passion. Let's have more passion in our marriage. And she kind of rolls her eyes. Says, well, Paul, that ain't the way to get it right there. <laughs> and she always says, why don't, Paul, we just love each other and see what happens? And that's what God is saying to you in prayer. Why don't we just love each other and connect with each other in prayer? And let's see what happens. Enduring faith with God believes there are going to be challenges all along the way, clings to the means of grace all along the way, and lastly, has a sense of mission all along the way. It's interesting. We always think of this as a children's story, right? It's a powerful adult kind of story, and it's especially a missionary kind of story, right? How does Daniel write it under God's direction or someone else writing on his behalf with God's direction? Put this, the whole bent of the story is toward the conversion of King Darius, right? It's as though Darius really is the big character in this story. He's yearning for Daniel's deliverance. He's the one who fasts and stays up all night wondering, pondering, praying as it were. He's the one who comes to the mouth of the pit and the den that's sealed over the next morning and cries out to Daniel, has God been able to deliver you? Daniel cries back, yes, O king, may you live forever. God has delivered me from the lion's mouth and shut their mouths. And then the king extols, right, these beautiful expressions of faith. You don't find expressions of faith this good in the New Testament, Blessed be the God of Daniel, the God who reigns, the God who lives forever. I want to proclaim a proclamation of peace, literally a gospel to my whole empire about the God of Daniel. What's pictured here is Darius's conversion and Darius becoming witness to the whole known world. The key to enduring with God is not just knowing there are going to be trials along the way and God is going to meet you there. Not just connecting with God, communing with God with prayer and thanksgiving, right? As broken people in need of grace. But it's living in mission with God. It's having this sense that every moment of our lives, perhaps when we least expect it, God may be ready to use us powerfully. In mission, our greatest trials even maybe the places where God works most powerfully. I'll leave you with this little story. Uh, a, a woman 
who's living in Ireland, in a community in Ireland, a, a small town, uh, in the middle of the 19th century, during the time of, of extended periods of famine in Ireland. She, uh, she's been an orphan, raised an orphan. In, her, in the orphanage upbringing, she meets a boy who's an orphan. They get married. Uh, they marry young. They have a child. She's about 19 when she gets pregnant and with this child, and, and her husband is in his early 20s. While she's pregnant, he suddenly dies. And so here she is. Her husband had no family. She has no family. She's pregnant. What is she going to do? And so she drags herself to the edge of town and sits down by the edge of the river trying to gain courage to drown herself. And while she's there, she sits because she thinks, I don't want a child to have my life. I don't want a child to be brought up in a world and and have what I had. I can't care for this child. I can't give this child anything. I I just, I've got to end it all. But as she's pondering this, she, she looks over on the other side of the river and sees a single farmer with a single plow and a single mule behind it plowing his bottom land. And she notices that he is cutting these beautiful, perfect rows. And then she notices that she hears him whistling and then singing while he's plowing. And she recognizes that as a hymn from church, one of the hymns they used to sing in the church around the orphanage. And she decides if this farmer out here with nobody watching, with nobody knowing, not knowing that anybody is even here, could hope this way, could live his life before God in this way, could do his work unto God this way, then perhaps I can too. And in that brokenness, God touched her, and she went back, and by faith she lived on. She remarried. She had multiple children, not just the child she was carrying, and she becomes the great-grandmother of Os Guinness, who actually wrote her story. Os Guinness becomes, well, not just connected with the Guinness Brewers, which is good work, right? But, but wrote some of the most beautiful, profound literature on evangelism and apologetics and the faith and culture of the whole 20th century. You never know when God is going to come in brokenness and change everything, not just for you, but for those coming after you. That, that farmer didn't know anything except for going and facing another hard day of labor, and yet he embraced it by faith to the glory of God. In the text that Hal read from Hebrews, that story about Daniel, lions', lions mouths being shut, it alluded to all the stories of all the ancient heroes. How did that section end? God did not end their stories until God brought the gospel to us. Their story was not complete without our faith, the writer says. And in the same way that's truth today, Daniel's story is not complete without your faith. And your story is not complete without God taking you and using you in his mission to share hope, to share enduring trust in the middle of difficulty and challenge, to pray and not give up, and to see that your whole life 
is one of living in mission with God. Happy 2018. May you embrace the path of enduring faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We praise you. And uh, Lord, we pray and plead with you that you would, by your grace, help us to have enduring faith. We can't conjure it up. You have to give it to us, Lord. Would you in your kindness do so? Please, Lord, for your name's sake. Give us faith that trusts you through a lifetime of trials and doesn't freak out when the trials come. Give us faith that clings to you through the ordinary, through the means of grace like prayer and the word and like this table we're getting ready to come to, Lord. And Lord, help us to reset our lives as lives of mission, lives of sharing our hope in you, lives of true purpose as your ambassadors in the world. We pray this all, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.